Everybody listening on Spotify, Google Podcast, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your podcasts. This is On the Farm. Matt Kovitz here with Sam Shapiro. A great show to talk about. We have a lot of baseball to get into. We do have to start with some somber news. It broke late, late, late Friday night that in the midst of the crazy news cycle, something else that may have gotten swept under the rug, Bob Gibson, the elite St. Louis Cardinals pitcher, died at the age of 84. He's, of course, known for having the best single-season ERA ever. In his 1968 season, had a 1.12 ERA in 304 and two-thirds innings. Some of the stats that he had in terms of innings pitched and low ERA totals in that year of the pitcher, in that era of the pitcher, would not be replicated again. This is a guy who really got his credit, nine-time All-Star, two-time Cy Young, had two World Series, and in both of those World Series, he was the MVP. A legend has passed away. Yeah, really sad to see this, especially for Cardinals fans, but also you know for just people who you know care about the game. Uh, a, a dominant figure for much of his 16 years, and also something that people might not be aware of is that you know he played uh, he played a bit of a role behind the scenes in getting the Cardinals to integrate their their clubhouse and their their road roommate situations. Uh, you know, he, Bill White, uh, Kurt Flood, uh, they were kind of doing this uh, in the in the early 60s. Uh, before any other major league team did. Uh, and so even though obviously his, his statistics are very gaudy, uh, he did a lot on the field for the Cardinals. You know, that's a, a very important part of his legacy too. And especially with all that's uh, been going on this summer, something that we all should make sure we remember about him. And now from that somber note, we will get a little bit more lighthearted because we had a lot of wild card baseball to recap. And Sam, what were your thoughts just watching these games as they filled out two out of three series for eight teams in each league? So eight games going on at once on Wednesday. It was spectacular. And I really thought that even though there was going to be some resistance, this was a pretty good format. Yeah, I was over the moon having just so much playoff baseball around me. Uh, there really is something different about the energy this time of year. And you could sense it uh, when you were watching it. Uh, you know, you saw players kind of, you know, bring a little extra, some, you know, really nice plays being made in the field. Um, obviously, you know, my uh, one, one thing I've always noticed is there tends to be a, a, a few more uh, swings and misses. I don't have anything scientific to back this up, but it just seems like you have a higher percentage of guys who are trying to play the hero, get that big hit. Get that big home run to you know cut into a lead or, or or make your team take a lead. But yeah, I think that in terms of the format too, uh, this could work very well going forward. I told you about my uh, my evil idea for what they could have done to make it even uh, even crazier, which is to give the seventh and eighth seeds an extra game to have to win compared to their opponents. Uh, obviously, that's uh, a incredibly evil, and B you know adds extra complications. Uh, but I think that just having you know your basic best of three series it seemed to work pretty well and you know, for, the, for the for the most part we got shocked but we had a couple of interesting upsets which i'm sure we'll get to i know like 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 i said we'll touch on this series in depth more in a few minutes but uh, i was definitely getting some 2003 throwbacks with a uh, marlins victory over the cubs uh last time they faced each other in the postseason i believe in that that series was obviously you know memorable for many reasons in and of itself uh the cubs have won the world series since then so you know we can talk about steve bartman by name um but yeah there's a lot of really exciting baseball and just to wrap up uh this you know somewhat long-winded take uh it's really nice to see certain guys on these teams that haven't made the playoffs in a long time get a chance to play some meaningful uh october baseball uh, obviously you know the guy i'm about to mention his his time got cut a little short but you know a starling Marte, let's say for the marlins or you know a jesus aguilar you know these are guys who you know, you don't really think of when you think of playoff baseball, but they had very solid seasons. Uh, really nice to see them get rewarded like that. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the guys on the White Sox who we talked about last week have, you know, waited so long to break in there. Um, and so I think that being able to kind of spread things out and give more people a chance to, to enjoy, you know, the magic that is postseason baseball. If there was less chalk, I feel like there'd be more resistance to the idea. But the fact that there weren't as many upsets, maybe that's changing people's minds. I thought it was fine. If you want to go to a three out of five, I think you could do that as well. 
in 2021, but I was not as opposed, and it seems like baseball fans as a whole were not as opposed to the format as they initially were. I'm shocking, I know, people on social media, baseball Twitter overreacted to something. I really can't believe that. <laughs> well, let's get into it. It's October 3rd. If it was a Wednesday, it would be a Mean Girls Equinox, but unfortunately, it is a Saturday. So we will get into the first games, Toronto and Tampa Bay. This one pretty dominant in one team's favor. Game one, the Rays had a 3-1 to one victory, and they never gave up the lead. Blake Snell was incredible. He had nine strikeouts over five and two-thirds innings pitched. And of all people, Peter Fairbanks got the save for the Rays. Of course, they have a laundry list of closers who can do the job, and they did go to Fairbanks. An interesting decision in this one, scoreless after three, Charlie Montoyo took out his ace, Matt Shoemaker, after three scoreless, brought in Robbie Ray, and he was the one who gave up the first run, a Willie Adamas walk. Getting into this game, I... Didn't think the Blue Jays had a shot, and I'll get that into that in my recap of it at the end. I didn't think they had much of a shot, and they played a, kind of well in the first couple innings. I feel like this decision may have cost them negatively, and that's not just because of the results. It didn't seem like he had faith in Shoemaker to go longer than uh, one time through the order. And I know you're facing a very good Tampa Bay team, and they really lived up to the part in game one. Yeah, I think the thing with Shoemaker is you know, he's never been a real top-of-the-rotation guy. Uh, and he also, I believe, had some some health issues this year in terms of, you know, I, I, I don't recall him being in the rotation consistently throughout the entire year. So... I can understand why Montoya was a little cautious, but again, uh, you know, it did look like he was, you know, on top of his game there. So, you know, obviously uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you kind of got a feel for, for Montoya, I think, you know, especially uh, knowing how much trouble he's had with starting pitching this year. Tanner Roark and uh, Chase Anderson, two highly heralded offseason acquisitions who, uh, to put it politely, were, were, were hot garbage for most of the season. So, you know, he kind of you know, didn't really have that much to work with in this situation. And in game two, this one was over immediately. 7 oh, nothing boy. after the second. A Mike Zanino two-run homer and a Hunter Renfro grand slam off of Hyunjin Ryu. That sealed the deal. Uh, good news for Danny Jansen. Not an offensive powerhouse normally, but he did have two homers in this game. Tyler Glasnow was strong as well. Nate Pearson, we talked about him a little bit last week, struck out five over two scoreless in relief. The conclusions here... Like Chicago, the youth movement can work for Toronto. They do need a lot of help. They're not quite there yet. They're a bit ahead of schedule. And they had to play a very weird season in Buffalo in their AAA park. So all the power to them for getting this far. The Rays dominated. Now, the Montoya decisions have led to ire amongst Jays fans online. Perhaps his seat a little is a little warm. That may be a bit reactionary, though. The main story here, Tampa Bay, of course, not the best opponent in the world. They looked the part of a number one seed. Yeah, no, I think with, with, with Montoya... Um, he's a guy who did have a considerable amount of managerial experience in the minors. He was actually uh, in the Rays system for quite some time. The uh, Durham Bulls, uh, more casual fans might know them from uh, a certain movie that came out in the 80s. So he's, you know, he's been doing this for a while. And he, I believe Montoya has won a, c- a couple championships in AAA. And so this, from, from the strategic side of things, he has that experience under his belt. And he probably should have been sharper in this series considering that, but I don't think you can, uh, I don't think you can write all that off and, and, and shunt him all the way to the hot seat. Having not followed the team as closely, I don't know if this was, you know, part of a recurring thing over the summer, but based on how he had them playing, like you said, these guys came in ahead of schedule. Uh, you know, it was not expected that the Blue Jays would be competing for a postseason berth uh, for at least another one to two years. Uh, and given how well he had uh, he had the young guys playing. You know, Bichette didn't miss a beat when he came back. Lourdes Guriel kept it up. Biggio took, a, in my opinion, a step forward at the plate. And Vladdy Jr., even though he started off quite cold, he ended up turning it around by the end of the season. You know, overall, you had guys you know, playing above their weight. I mean, we could also talk about Randall Gritchick. This is probably, you know, one of his uh, best seasons hitting for average in a while. He kept the power going as well. Montoya's been getting quite a bit out of these guys. And so I think that if you're a Toronto fan, you don't lay as much of the blame on his shoulders. And, you know, you just faced a very dominant raised team, which they somehow were able to put together with this, you know, this, this patchwork quilt of guys and Yoshi Tsutsugo leading it off. It's a it's a really tough matchup, and I think that even though, as we'll get into, the Yankees are, are my pick for the pennant, I think this is going to be a bloodbath of a division series between the two of them. Um, now, speaking of this patchwork group of guys, no Jose Alvarado, no Jalen Beeks, no Andrew Kittredge, no Colin Poche, no Cody Reed, no Chaz Rowe, no Yanni Chirino, seven guys, four of whom succumbed to Tommy John surgery, another one, Chaz Rowe, maybe 
following that same track as well. Can they stick around with the makeshift bullpen that they have? Nick Anderson, Diego Castillo, Fairbanks, and John Curtis have all been getting save opportunities. It's going to be interesting. They did call up Shane McClanahan, who this is going to be a recurring theme in the American League, had no prior major league experience and was called up to the big league roster. Snell, Glasnow, and Morton is going to have to take them very far with Ryan Yarborough potentially filling in for one of them in game four or game five. Yeah, well, I think that uh, this really just speaks to how well they're able to, to work with what they have and develop these guys. Um, one name you didn't mention, um, who's had a bit of a resurgence, Aaron Loop, longtime Blue Jay. He's been their, 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 their top lefty out of the pen. And he's, he's showing the same stuff he did earlier in his career with Toronto. We're getting minor league journeymen who are just having seasons you would not expect given their pedigrees. John Curtis is ERA is sub two. This is a guy who's probably best known for singing the national anthem when he was uh, in AAA with the Twins, showing he can you know, get it done uh, after the anthem and uh, after play ball is said. Um, Aaron Sleggers uh, uh, washed out of the Twins system has you know, figured it out here. So there's just there's something in the water down there where they're, just, they're, they're, they're getting great innings out of these guys. And I think that until people start to fall apart, I think going forward, you just assume they're, 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 they're going to keep going with it. The most basic joke in the world is that the Rays are used to no fans, but we're a higher brow show, so we're not even going to discuss that, correct? I think we can, we can move on from that. Absolutely. <laughs> now, on the other side, the number five New York Yankees, my New York Yankees, and the number four Cleveland Indians, this was a dominant performance by the offense. Game one, facing possible, if not the likeliest, Cy Young in the American League, Shane Bieber. DJ LeMahieu single, Aaron Judge home run in the top of the first. That set the tone for this one. Bieber was rocked. Garrett Cole struck out 13. The Yankees hit four home runs and had 15 hits. I will say it is much easier to have a Cy Young case when you play the Royals and the Tigers five times and (laughs) out of your 12 starts. This was incredible, and I was glad to see it. Game two is going to be the one that's talked about and remembered for years to come. Started off with rain delay gate, where the game was pushed back from 7 p.m. to about 7.50. They got an inning in. Masahiro Tanaka gave up four runs in the pouring rain. Another half-hour rain delay. Overall, a four-hour and 50-minute-plus game, the longest nine-inning in Major League Baseball history, regular season or post. And then the bats came out. A Gio Urshela grand slam off of James Karinchak put the Yankees ahead 5-4. to four. Jose Ramirez tied the game 6-6, six to six, and then Gary Sanchez came right back won at eight to six. The decision heard round the world, which I was very interested in. And we're going to have to talk about Josh Naylor, who was tearing the cover off the ball game one and the beginning of game two was about to face Zach Britton. Sandy Alomar filling in for Terry Francona said, you know what? I'm going to pinch hit and put in Jordan Luplo, who has been horrendous against right-handed pitchers this year. Seeing that Aaron Boone said, okay, I'm going to put in my righty, Jonathan Loisaga. And guess who won? Jordan Luplo hit a double to tie the game. A Cesar Hernandez single in the bottom of the eighth made it 9-8. to eight. And Brad Hand, who was 16 of 16 to have his 2020 end in misery after perfection. A Gary Sanchez sack fly tied it. A DJ LeMahieu single with two strikes and two outs put the Yankees ahead. Chapman put the game away. Chapman was asked to go more than his usual three outs, and it did work out. What do you like about this Yankees team, and is this sustainable? The offense is incredible, but... This bullpen leaves a lot to be desired. Even I can admit that. 22 runs in two games. I think it starts and ends there. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think the Yankees are coming out of the American League as the last team standing, and that's going to be a big part of why. Um, obviously, you had a bit of a slump in early September, but it looks like that's uh, it looks like that's come and gone. And one thing I noticed, you know, in the last couple of weeks of the season, having, you know, these series against Toronto, a couple against Tampa, were that, you know, there you, there were, were these 10-run games than, than you would expect coming from this Yankees offense and to be doing this against a team like the Indians where pitching was a very a very considerable strength for them this year you mentioned Shane Bieber they got great innings from Zach Plesak Aaron Savali my Connecticut guy and the bullpen really was 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 outstanding Brad Hand uh, I would say had a had a resurgence you know don't call it a comeback but you know Karen Shack was was outstanding as a rookie Uh, we talked last week about guys like Nick Whitgren Adam Simber came back up from the alternate training site last couple weeks of the season gave a few good innings and, you know, that's, I, I would say that's like one of the better staffs that they're going to face in this postseason. You know, so you compare it to a, to a Houston where you had a lot, a lot more inconsistency among guys. And I'd say probably the Cleveland staff had, had arguably more firepower than Oakland's. Um, and so if you can get 
LeMayu and Judge and and Urshela hitting like that, that's a, that's that's a dangerous thing. You know, Torres hasn't you know broken out of his shell yet. If he finally gets hot for the first time this season uh, in this upcoming series, then watch out. Uh, you have Sanchez, who even though he's been absolutely putrid, uh, has been getting the timely hit now and then he's also um, very lucky that the drop third strike in the bottom of the ninth amounted to nothing it was oh not exactly his fault. that was the way with Chapman splitter that he may not be using that's a new pitch probably shouldn't be in a situation like that still as dominant as it is but very very scary I was on the edge of my seat at 1.30 in the morning. Right. But I think I think that even though there were some inconsistencies in this series by and large Britain was one of the best relievers in baseball this year. I think Chapman, uh, it's tough to argue with him. Uh, even though his postseason history is up and down, he has closed the team to a World Series win before. Johnny Lasagna got a little bit of the jitters, but he, um, he's he been one of the more consistent pieces, I would imagine. I also just wanted an excuse to say Johnny Lasagna on air. Thank you for humoring me. Other, other, other than that, I do agree that there is, you know, maybe a, a little bit to worry about. You don't want a guy like Nick Nelson having to come in and pitch um, in a significant inning. But again, you could a guy like Adam Ottavino who had a couple real terrible outings. Uh, it looked like he was starting to turn around a little bit the last week or so of the season. Uh, you really hope you can get a little bit of consistency from him. One thing I will be interesting, it'll be interesting to think about. So Tanaka and Cole, not in that order. Those are obviously your top two. If you're Aaron Boone, who are your game three and game four guys? Is Davey Garcia starting here or are you looking to utilize his stuff in sort of a high leverage bullpen role given his inexperience and in the, in the situations he'll be facing? As strange as it is to say, I feel like game three might have to be Jay Happ. He really proved himself over the second half of the season. And that was, he was going to be the game three starter had it gotten to this point. I think you might have to go with him, even though he's had some struggles in the postseason as a member of the Yankees. Game four, I think Garcia can start the game. Maybe Montgomery is the bolt guy because I don't know how off how much you trust the 21-year-old. He is looked great. He did well against the Miami team that had a pretty uh, fiery offense. He just did that last Saturday. I think he could do it. He's got the stuff for it. He just may run into trouble every so often. Montgomery would have to be utilized in that capacity. And should they need a game five, it would just go right back to Cole. Of course. And, which is scary. They don't have as much depth as they would expect. James Paxson's not ready yet. If he would come back soon, that would be great, assuming he's healthy and not giving a season that he did earlier on in July when he was only touching 91 with his fastball, although his injury had something to do with that. Going to be weird. They're going to hope to just be three and out with Tampa, but of course that's much, much easier said than done, if not impossible. So they're going to have to make these strategic decisions. I wanted to ask you about Cleveland for a second. They're never a team that is going to pay guys for a very long time. Got rid of Corey Kluber last year, for one. It seemed like after a 90-win season didn't result in a playoff berth last year that they were going to blow it up a bit more. Turns out that was incorrect. They still have a very good young staff, and they'll likely always be in it, even though the offense wasn't as strong in years past. With that in mind, Francisco Lindor has one year left in free agency. He gave an exit interview, was not happy with his team's uh, financial situation because he, as he said, did you see the $3.5 billion deal that MLB just got for playoff games? And that the fact that Cleveland is not spending on free agents is a bit telling. Even though they do have money, they cannot claim that they are poor or broke. Is Lindor traded after this winter or during this winter or at the upcoming deadline? I've been saying that he played his last game in an Indians uniform for the last couple of days. I think that's a distinct possibility. Just to be a bit of a contrarian here, um, I think his value is probably um, on the lower end of where it could be, given the kind of the disappointing end of the season he had. But yeah, if you're Cleveland, you're getting you're getting some uh, you're getting some shades of Manny Ramirez here, um, just in terms of being that young that uh, young star who you really don't think you can keep. Uh, also worth noting that uh, you have you have Tyler Freeman as your number two overall prospect in the system. Uh, probably would have been primed to start this year uh, in Double A Akron. Probably see some major league time if things went according to plan. Obviously, you can't just replace it guy like Francisco Lindor snap like that but you know knowing you have a guy like that you know kind of in the system waiting in the wings uh and this is a team that as was shown with the with the with the Clevenger deal uh they're not afraid to make a move and kind of get you know get a return that you know replenishes a farm system you know Uh, I I think that um getting guys like Quantrill and, and Josh Naylor um they're gonna be a part of the next wave of whatever happens in Cleveland and I think that 
you know, bringing more guys into the fold in that style. You know, you saw Framil Reyes coming over last summer um, as kind of a, a piece in a deal like that. And now he's, you know, going to be a cog in the uh, middle of their lineup until they can't afford to pay him. Um, and so I think that that is a very interesting possibility. Matt, where do you see him going potentially? Which teams do you think could be in the market for him? Also considering the fact that uh, Andrew and Simmons is probably going to be on the open market will be probably a, a slightly cheaper alternative, perhaps in terms of, what, what, what would have to be given up to, to lock him up long-term? Strangely enough, the Angels were the first team I was going to. I know their farm system is incredibly weak. It's and, cheese. And cheese is a bit, even better word to say it. I don't even know if they have oh, the cheeks. Do cheeks. It. cheeks, okay. Cheese is <laughs> used as a negative connotation in the Long Fair Island nomenclature. <laughs> well, I don't think they have enough, but it would seem like it's smart. They clearly want to try winning. They're just very bad at it. And <laughs> the pitching is very suspect. I don't know what they can get out of it. They, they're going to have to try. I think the Mets is a not out of the realm of possibility, especially with Steve Cohen. Ahmed Rosario could be a trade ship and moving, and you would move Andres Jimenez to second base, maybe get Robinson Cano some, even though he had a good season, get him a little bit less playing time. Besides move that, the DH if they keep that going forward. Absolutely, that too. Otherwise, I'm, it's very hard to think anyone would be, would gush over Francisco Lindor. He's a guy who's realistically going to make 200 plus million dollars. 200 may uh, even be on the conservative side. He's probably going to make much more than that in his upcoming after 2021. He is transcendent. Any team would be lucky to have him. The spots are hard to find. Would you? What do, what do you think? Anywhere else that really comes to mind? You know, that's a very that's a very good question. I think one one place that might be might be kind of interesting to think about maybe St. Louis because I know Paul DeYoung has kind of been ensconced there, but. He's the kind of guy where you could pot- where you could potentially think about a shift to third base, knowing that Lindor in the middle of, uh, at the at the top of that lineup would just make them even scarier. They have Dylan Carlson coming up, starting to come out into his own. Uh, and St. Louis is a team that is known to kind of make moves and try and you know maintain uh, their 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 primacy in that division. Uh, they they have a decent farm system. There are some chips they could use. Uh, I don't know if they'd be willing to part with Nolan Gorman, who coincidentally also could be coming up at third base, but he's also a possible move to the outfield, given the fact that Tyler O'Neill doesn't exactly look to be staking a permanent claim there. So I, 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 I think St. Louis could be a team to watch. I'm not basing that off of anything concrete, uh, just knowing their history of, you know, kind of trading to bring in guys, you know, they had Goldie. Uh, a couple off seasons ago, not exactly apples to apples, but uh, bringing in Marcelo Zuna from the Marlins a few years back. You know, they're known to make to make a move like this to try and uh, put themselves on top. So could that would help with the core they have. They don't seem to be getting much better, and I'll get into that later. Riddle me this: these two have history with Shinsu Chu and Trevor Bauer. What about the Cincinnati Reds? Their shortstop was Freddie Galvis, and that does not help out with the Mustakas Suarez Vado infield. Oof. They get even better. I think they possibly can. That is, uh, that is a, I think, a, a, an okay-ish, excuse me, farm system. Let's, let's go pull up and see who could potentially uh, be heading to Cleveland in a deal like that. Gosh, it is so fun to actually be looking at these prospect lists and figuring this stuff out. It was a long, long off-season. I love um, these hypotheticals, and I'm glad that we're finally getting them. In April and May, it was just, I watched, all I did was watch old games while right. I was like, exercising, and it, was, it really got boring. Yeah. So I think in, ter- in, in terms of who could potentially go, I would have to imagine, you know, Austin Hendrick and Hunter Green are way off limits. One thing, one thing that could be interesting to watch is uh, Nick Lodolo, Mr. Solo Lodolo. Um, top 10 draft pick, very polished uh, college lefty. Did very well uh, in, 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 in rookie ball last year. I believe he was part. He was he was at the alternate training site this year, despite despite his youth. They might not be willing to give him up, but I can see I can see him kind of being on the top of Cleveland's list. You know, you, you never have too much pitching. Other than that, you got a guy like Jonathan India, who maybe depending on how how long you want to hang on to Cesar Hernandez, could could potentially be a replacement there. Tyler Stevenson, I think Cincinnati would be pretty unlikely to give up, just given the black hole that is their catcher position and the flashes he show he uh, he showed at the plate this year. Other than that, you know, guys like Tony Santillan, Leon Richardson, definitely some uh, some some pitching depth. In the Reds minor league system, Cleveland could take advantage of, you know, Mike Ciani in the in, in the outfield. Uh, there are pieces uh, where, 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 where one could make it work for a deal like that. 
He's going to have a bunch of suitors. It's going to be a fascinating winter. Moving to a team that also has had to deal with a lot of farm and farm-related accessories, the Houston Astros, and boy, did they make it work. Game one, as they're taking on the Minnesota Twins, Zach Grinke went four, gave up a double to the ageless Nelson Cruz, and was gone. Framber Valdez went five scoreless. And in the seventh inning, a Jorge Polanco throwing error gave the Astros the lead, and they never gave it up. In game two, first, that final score, four to one. Game two, Christian Javier was the pitching story. Three scoreless for the win. A go-ahead home run by Carlos Correa in the seventh. A very good game by Kyle Tucker. Three to one, Astros beat the Twins. They will be moving on. Now, Carlos Correa is playing the heel role if this were WWE. He said, I know a lot of people are mad. A lot of people don't want to see us here, but we just beat Minnesota. Is that smart? They did cheat, and he's just, they're sort of just owning up to it and saying, yes, yeah, stay mad. It's okay. It's the 6-9 strategy, which I'm not sure is viable long-term. I mean, they did cheat, but they also are here, so he's not wrong. Yeah. Um, I think one, one thing it's, uh, you know, one thing that's kind of tough to, you know, remember and admit in the, in the, in the wake of all that is this was a very good team without the cheating, and, like, arguably they probably – didn't need to do it to that extent to get to the places they got to. I agree. Um, and obviously they had um, some pretty disappointing drop-offs. Uh, Altuve's post-trash camp performance was probably the one that suffered the most. Bregman, you had him injured for a while. Um, took him a while to, to get back to form at the plate. Uh, Correa kind of had a rough August and, and, and early September. But this is still the same core that um, made it to two World Series in three years. Um, and I, I think one, one thing that really shocked me is just uh, in terms of the amount of youth they relied on, uh, the pitching that was able to step up to the, to, to, to the mound and, and rise to the occasion. Um, Christian Javier, um, showing like he's a real major league uh, caliber starter. You had guys like Blake Taylor and Andre Scrub in the bullpen. Yes, the Astros do want some scrubs. Um, Someone called TL. <laughs> and they were just getting really solid innings from from guys who had no track record and just were able to adjust and acclimate better than anyone could have expected. Uh, and I think that that's something that will strike fear in the hearts of A's fans, uh, not just in this series, but going forward the next couple of years. You know, this is an organization that, um, for all of their ethical shortcomings, still know how to develop players. And I think in terms of, uh, in terms of this next series, uh, Oakland's obviously heavily favored, but I think it'll be closer than, than one would think. I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I think Houston's definitely going to take one game, and it could even go five. The Astros are not in a, as bad of a position as their record would indicate. Lance McCullers had a resurgence in the second half of this truncated season. Uh, Jose Arquiti did well in game two here, and he's their second starter. Guys like Enoli Paredes and uh, Cy Snead even getting involved. And the offense is what the offense is. It's still a lot of guys who have been around and have been part of this core. Yuli Gurriel was just extended for a year. Kyle Tucker is consistently hitting fifth, and he's been a breakouts candidate. You know, that's been, the, I think, the one bright spot for the position-playing side of the field is you know, he was a top prospect for a while, and uh, it took him a long time to look comfortable at the plate up there. Some pretty disappointing performances his, his first couple years in the majors. But he's now looking like uh, a long-term cog in, in, in left field for them and, and, a, and a very consistent hitter. He showed some nice pop at the plate. Um, once, Jordan, once Jordan Alvarez comes back, that's a, that's a nice uh, three four or four or five combo there especially with the the possibility that george springer is no longer going to be uh patrolling the outfield at minute made going forward that's the part that stinks they're still so good and they can turn it on i know they struggle this season they could turn it on on a dime even if they're not even if they're being uh ethical and honest they, they, they could just hit and i know they're, they're going to be the real villains of this postseason especially if they keep moving forward and now their opponents the oakland athletics had to face the Chicago White Sox in game one. Adam Engel, Jose Abreu, Yasmani Grandal homered. Lucas Giolito had a perfect game through six. He has incredible stuff. And it looks like he's one of the few guys that's Max Scherzer-esque that you think can throw a no-hitter at any given moment, considering how often he paints the corners, how hard he throws, and his great off-speed stuff. He could turn it on quickly, and it was shown here. The White Sox won 4-1. to one. Game two, the A's tagged Dallas Keigel early. There was an error by Nick Madrigal. And then a Marcus Simeon homer in the following inning. The reigning player of the month, Chris Bassett, went seven strong. 
A White Sox comeback was thwarted by Jake Diekman after Wien Hendricks had a bit of a meltdown. And in Game 3, the A's got their first playoff series win since 2006. The White Sox actually had a 3-0 lead in this after a Luis Robert long home run. Long is an understatement, 486 feet. Also had a single. And then 4-3 game in the fourth inning thanks to a Sean Murphy homer, Mark Hanna, and a Matt Olson walk. Chad Pinder put the game away in the fifth with a two-run single. Both bullpens were used quickly, which was interesting to me. Uh, Dane Dunning against Mike Fires. Fires went an inning in two-thirds, and then it went Yusmero Petit, Frankie Montas, J.B. Wendelkin, Lou Trevino, Jake Diekman, Joaquin Soria, and Liam Hendricks. Dane Dunning only went in uh, two-thirds of an inning, and they had to go with their 2020 pick, Garrett Crochet, who left with forearm tightness, rough work from the rest of the bullpen. Hewer, Rodon, and Marshall all gave up runs. Interesting strategy that both teams had to use in that game three, and that's something that we're going to, ha- we're going to see in division series and championship series because there are no off days this postseason. It's just you know, five straight and then seven straight. Just to circle back, that was terrible news regarding Crochet. It is incredibly, incredibly rare to see a guy go directly from pitching for his college team to Major League Baseball. The last time it happened was Mike Leake. And even that was different from this. You know, Mike, Mike Leake, he signed in the summer. He didn't pitch in the minors. And he won a rotation spot out of spring training. Garrett Crochet was pitching at SEC ballparks in, in February and March. And he looked the part of a shutdown lefty on a playoff team months later, which is just absolutely incredible. And I anticipated him being like a shutdown a shutdown lefty next year. They could have maybe even tried to stretch him out and 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 and, and worked him into that that last spot in their rotation because you know you got Giolito, you got Keuchel, um, Dylan Cease who had a real solid year, Dane Dunning who I think has a, has a real inside track on that fourth spot, and you know Crochet rounding it out that would have been dangerous, especially when we paired it with the with the bats that we talked about last time. Um, but you really just have to hope it's nothing serious for them because and the, the thing also with Crochet is uh, his stuff was among the best in the draft. But his uh, his stats were not too great. His peripherals were, you know, maybe caused to think that he wasn't quite ready yet, and that he'd take some time to develop in the minors. But a real positive surprise there um, for 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 the White Sox. And so you you really hate to see that. It was telling that something was amiss when he went from 98 to 96 miles an hour. He still got that stuff even when he was a little bit banged up. Hoping that it he's okay. The White Sox are. Also early, like the Blue Jays, they had good showings from their newer players. Rookies in their free agent back, Rondell, both did well. There's a lot of potential for this team, and they're going to be here for years to come. With the Oakland A's, how far can they go with their starting pitcher? Only with their starting pitching. Only Bassett looked impressive, and they were hesitant to use Sean Mania. Is this sustainable with the remaining month they have left to play? They're going to really be relying on that back end of the bullpen quite a bit. Well, like you said, you know, Manaya could be a potential X factor for this team. I think his step is outstanding. I still have not recovered from the no hitter he threw against my Red Sox in 2018. Um, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> he uh, he looked like he was kind of getting it together at, at the at the end of this season. Um, I think that Luzardo it was a great find for them. He'll be a mainstay in their rotation for a while, but kind of get, given given the rocky showing in Game One, you wonder if he's if he's quite ready yet. And I think that's that's why. This could be a closer series with Houston than one might think, you know, seeing guys like Springer and Correa and Kyle Tucker, you know, match up against, against, against some of these guys that could make it interesting. I do think that um, this bullpen has really turned into something. Lou Trevino with a bounce back year. Yusmero Petit has always been uh, a, a consistent presence. Uh, Wendell Kinn's been been good as well. Uh, Hendricks, only that one meltdown. And I think that watching him watching him close it out, he was really back on his game. He was bringing that Aussie fire. There, 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 there could be something nice to work with there. I think that, that the, 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 the bullpen is going to be key to taming these Astros bats. I think if Oakland advances to the LCS, I have trouble seeing them get by Tampa or New York, but it's October. Who knows, man? Another good story for them, three straight years of being in the race. And they actually won a series this time, so good for them. Hey, there we go. To the senior circuit. Now, I understand the dominance of the Los Angeles Dodgers and their much-watched television. I was the most bored and the least entertained by this series against the Milwaukee Brewers. Game one, they won it 4-2. to two. Could have been much worse, however. Brett Suter could not find the strike zone in the first inning. He walked in Will Smith and A.J. Pollock. This one got to 3-0 until when Orlando Arcia Homer made it 3-2. Milwaukee could not get anything going. Walker Bueller only went four. He was coming back from that blister. And in those four, he did strike out eight. Julio Arias struck out five over three. This was just a masterclass in pitching. 
in game two is Quayton Kershaw trying to exercise some demons. He, of course, had the highest postseason ERA of anyone who had thrown over 100 innings in the playoffs. And this team was an offensive pit of hell in Milwaukee. Doesn't matter. Three hits, one walk, 13 Ks over eight scoreless. Outdueled Brandon Woodruff, complete dominance. And Austin Barnes single and Mookie Betts double was the entire offense. The Dodgers, who's going to stop them? That's the real story here. No one. The- literally, literally, literally no one. This is, this is their year. What about and- themselves? Ooh. That's a little meta. I don't know. I need, I, need to, I need to ponder that for a second. But, you know, in, in all seriousness, this is a Dodgers team that's just so incredibly hungry. Back-to-back World Series berths in uh, 17 and 18, couldn't get it done last year. Really tough loss to the Nationals. I think that in addition to just having such a solid, high-performing team up and down the lineup in rotation, this is a team that's hungry. Uh, they've come short so many times before, and you know that even though this is the postseason, everyone, you know, gives 110%, you're going to see something extra from this Dodgers team um, because they also they also know that uh, they're a class above the rest of Major League Baseball. You know, Tampa, Atlanta, you know, all those other division winners. Um, I, I don't I don't think they can come close to matching the Dodgers' dominance. And you know, I would be absolutely shocked if they are not hoisting that trophy by the end of it all. And these Milwaukee Brewers, you can't be too upset. They've made the playoffs three straight years. Christian Yelich is not going to have the season he did in 2020. I would imagine much better than that over the course of the 162-game stretch. Lorenzo Cain opted out halfway through. They're going to be fine. It's very hard for a small market, in quotes, club to be sustainably good and consistent for a very long time. I think they still have the pieces. They have Williams, who was – Devin Williams was out. We raved about his changeup, and he missed the whole series with a shoulder injury. Everything is okay. He would have made the next round. He just needed about a week to recover. They have Josh Hader. Seems like they're going to be fine in a very crowded NL Central. And we'll get to the Comedy Centrals in a little bit just of how poor their performance was. Moving on, the series of the NL, the number five St. Louis Cardinals against the number four San Diego Padres. In game one, Chris Paddock had a very rough season and he got tagged again. Four runs in the first, a great showing by the Cardinals. Guanghan Kim, not great. The bullpen bailed him out. Remember that later. Game two, an amazing back and forth one. San Diego was down 4 nothing again. Zach Davies couldn't get it done. They had fight in them this time. The bottom of the sixth, Fernando Tatis, a three-run homer, a Manny Machado solo shot, tied the game. Bottom seventh, Will Myers took the lead. And then the bat flip heard around the world. Uh, Fernando Tatis. Hey, there right. we right. go. Bautista. It got as close as 9-8, to eight, but the Padres never relinquished again. Hennessy Cabrera, Daniel Ponce de Leon, two guys who did well in game one did not do as well in game two of game three, the Padres down Mike Clevenger down the Nelson Lamette, both for the foreseeable future had to start Craig Stammen. And he was his first time beginning the game in the first inning since 2010. It was the longest stretch in between starts for a pitcher in history. And it worked. They used nine pitchers and it worked. Craig Stammen, Tim Hill, Pierce Johnson, Adrian Morahone, the youth movement is here. Austin Adams, Luis Patino, Emilio Pagan, Drew Pomerantz, and Trevor Rosenthal all contributed. That 7-8-9 is going to be a thunderous force. They're doing all of this without Kirby Yates as well. A Hosmer double in the fifth end of this game. The Cardinals had no chance. Alex Reyes looked off his game as well. Just did not have enough in the tank. St. Louis is a good team, sure. Maybe they need to get somebody else. They definitely need to. This was essentially the same team as 2019. They didn't make any trades. They didn't sign any free agents. Granted, they have to deal with a lot crazier circumstances. Yeah, I think that it's kind of miraculous that you have the two teams with the most major COVID outbreaks, both making the postseason. Uh, not just that, but you know, coming second in their divisions, which is you know, an accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, that is a nasty Padres bullpen. My gosh, um, you have a guy like Emilio Pagan who had a you know terrible first couple months of the season uh we, we keep talking about these guys who are starting to put it together in september he was um an unbelievable reliever for um for oakland and tampa the past couple years and if he's getting it together putting him in the seventh inning that's unreal he's uh, on you have a guy like dotel track of he's played on four teams already and <laughs> three of them have made the playoffs he's going to be is he just going to be a guy who gets traded on July 30th every single year? Would well, be- I sure, I sure, I sure hope he's not on the Octavio Dotel track uh, in uh, other ways. But- Fair. I don't think. <laughs> Ellen does play for a lot of teams. 
Uh, yeah, of course. Um, you have a guy like Drew Pomerantz too, who's had a late career resurgence. Um, obviously, I have some you know, not great memories of, of of him on my team. A lot, very up and down. But it seems like he's really found a home in the back end of this bullpen. Trevor Rosenthal uh, showing shades of his uh, uh, former dominance as, as the Cardinals closer. I did not realize he was going against uh, the team that developed him until a couple seconds ago. That's always an interesting wrinkle. But this 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 Padres team is so damn fun to watch. You know, I I bought a Slam Diego shirt and I you know, have no connection to this team. You know, it's just, I think it's, it's just so good for the game of baseball. And I think that you have the traditionalists, the Chris Woodwards of the world. They don't like the bat flips. They don't like the emotion. I think Fernando Tatis Jr., he's making baseball fun to watch again. And kind of the culture that the rest of the team is showing. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's a really good vibe in that clubhouse. And I have to imagine, even though this is incredibly unscientific, that that's playing a role in their, in the, the solid performances we're seeing. You know, we talked last week about how Manny Machado is playing Manny Machado again. You know, Eric Hosmer is finally getting some some loft on the ball. Will Myers, former rookie of the for, former rookie of the year, um, it was widely imagined he was you know a bust on his way out. That's a very good season for a major league right fielder to have. This 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 team just has you know such an interesting composition. You know, we talked last week you know about you know Austin Nola coming in and sliding right into that catcher spot. Trent Grisham, Jerickson Profar. For a long time this year, the conventional wisdom was, how the hell is this guy playing left field on a contending team? Uh, he's ticked the offense up a notch and obviously can give you solid defense at multiple positions. Uh, Cronenworth uh, fell off a little at the plate, but still ended up leading all rookies in extra base hits this year. This is going to be uh, probably the end of the road for them against the Dodgers. I think that's just going to be too much to overcome. But they're setting the stage for some very close battles over the next few years. And I think this Padres team is definitely going to be a mainstay in the playoffs, whether it's as a division champ or, you know, a second place team or a wild card team. God, is Tatis transcendent or what? Not that I'm always paying attention to the engagement on MLB Twitter, but anything that with a post that involves him is getting tens of thousands of likes as opposed to the just much more meager 1500 to 3000. They know what they have. The hype machine is behind him. I have a bit of a hot take. Um, Sure both in terms of on-the-field performance and off-field engagement, what would it look like if Trevor Bauer signed a one-year deal with this team? I feel like Twitter would explode, and that's a, there's a definite possibility that this is happening. That would be so, that would be, that would be so damn great. I kind of hope that happens. Exciting for years to come, for years to come. Moving on, another team that had to deal with COVID, as you just said, the Miami Marlins. They have never lost a playoff series, and that streak continued. In game one, they were down one nothing thanks to an Ian Happ home run. A five-run rally thanks to the forgotten cast-offs. Corey Dickerson and Jesus Aguilar. Kyle Hendricks just ran out of steam. Jeremy Jeffress, not a great season. Sandy Alcantara, wow. Game one went to the Marlins. Game two, scoreless until the seventh again. Garrett Cooper and Magnuris Sierra also in the seventh inning. So the, the trick is hold them and just avoid the seventh inning because that's when Miami's going to score. You Darvish tuckered out. Sixto Sanchez had a fantastic start. The Marlins looked like a problem. What a one! What a one-two punch at the top of that rotation: Alcantara and Sanchez. You know, I, I guess this goes to show that you know if you're savvy enough in the trade market, you don't have to worry as much about developing these guys on the farm. Even though they do have you know Max Meyer in the pipeline coming up. Uh, you know, those two. If I'm if I'm uh, he who must not be named uh, the uh, yeah, president. Yeah. <laughs> If I'm if I, if if I'm him, I'm trying to lock them both up uh, as soon as I can. Give give these men their cash; they deserve it. Absolutely, they are ahead of schedule as well. This youth movement is here, and now for the Cubs, always a tricky case. Of course, they won the division, but it's another year looking like this core is not going to win anything besides what they did in 2016. Flags fly forever, especially when it's 108 years worth of drought, and they will all be always be remembered. But this offense has really regressed in the last four years, and they have an aging staff. They're likely always going to be in it, but John Lester is done. That's the end of an era. Darvish, Hendricks, Quintana, all there. It's still the same mainstays. Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, a great top three. They're going to have to get a bit younger, and it's going to be tricky. I know Chris Bryant was a trade target last winter. I don't think that happens, but he does remember how they treated him and his service time manipulation in 2015, which was five years ago, which is crazy. Time moves fast. 
He has not forgotten. It seems like he's not signing a long-term deal there. What's the future of the Cubs? Are they just going to be an 86 to 90 win team for the next five years and never reaching above that threshold? Yeah, I think that uh, first things first, it is impressive that Rossi got them a division title in his first season as a manager, especially with so many of their top uh, position players having such poor seasons at the plate. Sanchez, sorry, no, Bryant, excuse me. Bryant is not going to be a valuable asset in trade talks. He just, he played himself out of that. I also think he probably played himself out of a long-term deal. You know, even though this is just one year, he looked lost at bat this year. One thing I think is going to be really interesting to watch is how this Cubs team approaches the next couple of drafts because uh, they had uh, an outstanding farm system when all these guys were coming up. But, you know, since guys, since guys have graduated, since they've, you know, kind of made trades in their, uh, you know, quest to get that World Series, uh, I don't have, you know, team rankings in front of me, but I have to imagine there's, there's not much going on. Uh, Adbert Alzole uh, had a couple starts at the end of the year. He looked very impressive. I think he could slot in um, behind Darvish and Hendricks, uh, assuming he can you know keep this up through next spring training. But yeah, you're right. There does need to be uh, a bit of an infusion of youth here. Um, I think uh, in, in terms of the bullpen, what a disappointment Craig Kimbrell was. Obviously, Jeffress got it done for, for much of the regular season. But to have a guy come in uh, with that pedigree and just, you know, completely... He, he, he was barnacles. Like, no way around it. Harder sauce. <laughs> Going with SpongeBob-related curse words. <laughs> it's, they need some help, and this has been a problem for the last few years. It's okay that they're not a dynasty. They just looked like they were going to be one when that started. They were a dominant team four years ago. They had everything going for them. That seems like the exception and not the rule. And as I said, that's totally fine. You get your championship. Could have been a bit more, but at that point, you're getting greedy. Just hope they don't have to wait another 108 years. But if that's the case, we will see you in quick math, 2,124. Yikes. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And the last series, the number seven versus the number two. I had spoken the praises of the Cincinnati Reds uh, the entire season. I thought they were going to win the Central. Did not realize that they just forgot how to hit in this series. Game one, if you like pitcher's duels from 2012, this is the one for you. Trevor Bauer and Max Fried traded zeros the entire game. Offenses were futile on both sides, set some futility records, so said Matt Vaskersian. Freddie Freeman had the walk-off single in the 13th inning off of Amir Garrett, who then said, don't worry, it's not going to happen again because I'm built different. And then the emoji that I can only, I hate it, but I can only describe it as like, you're breathing in, you're like, hmm. And it's, I, that's the one I hate the least that I see on ESPN all the time. I hate the most. <laughs> and he's the one he, uh, he used that also. Game two, Ian Anderson, welcome to the show. Save your Jethro Tull references. He is here. An impressive regular season, which was only supplemented by six scoreless with nine strikeouts. Luis Castillo was good, but again, these bats were just not there. Ozuna, as in Marcel, Duval as in Adam, continued their power surges. The Braves are going to be a very tough out. They held their own against some tough pitching. They were first series win since 2001, and they wow. do have to the hot Marlins team. They're no slouches. I'm very excited for this series. What do you think their ceiling is? Because they do need to look a bit more impressive. They have Acuna. They have Freeman. That's usually enough. They're going to need the pitching to continue to step up. I know they faced a very weak Reds team. They just need the consistency of their rotation and bullpen once more. Yeah, I think that anytime you have two bona fide MVP candidates with Freeman and Ozuna in the middle of that lineup, you're going you're gonna to cause trouble for teams. Acuna, a uh, little off at the plate, was battling some injuries this year, but he's absolutely nasty uh, when he's on. Ozzy Albis coming back from injury was absolutely huge as well. One, 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 one thing I am a little bit concerned about is, you know, this bullpen had a wonderful year. A lot of guys with ERAs, you know, of one or sub one for most of the time, but at a certain point, you got to come crash, uh, crashing down to earth. You revert to the mean. And, you know, I have to wonder when the other shoe is going to drop for some of these guys. I think that Darren O'Day and AJ Minter have had great resurgences. Do they stay as lights out throughout the whole postseason? Uh, you've already seen, you know, guys like uh, Shane Green kind of, you know, have a, a, a little bit of struggle after, you know, such a solid regular season. But the thing is, there, there are so many options for this team. I, 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 I think that starting pitching, as you mentioned, is a bit of a concern behind these two guys. There's been um, some injury issues and inconsistency issues. Bryce Wilson looked at the end of the season like he might be the guy that steps up, but uh, that's a small sample size. We, we love mentioning that here. And like, like you said, this Marlins team they're about to face is showing a lot of grit, um, and it's just going to be really tough to count them out. Now the division series matchups that we have are all intra-divisional. 
East against East, West against West. Starting the American League live from Petco Park, the number five New York Yankees against the number one Tampa Bay Rays. Astros and A's, six versus two. In the NL, four versus one Padres Dodgers, six versus two Marlins Braves. All four of these series have an element of a rivalry to them. The Yankees and Rays have been fighting consistently since about 2016. Kevin Cash said that he had a stable of pitchers who could throw 100 miles an hour. And, of course, in the other side, Mike Fires was the whistleblower to the entire Astros cheating staff. <laughs> there was going to be bad blood. Someone called Taylor Swift. Padres and Dodgers hey. have a crash on the field. It's not as exciting in comparison to the Marlins and Braves. Jose so Arena. Still, still a bit of a SoCal thing, right? Right. And Jose Arena threw at Ronald Acuna for what appears like he hit a home run and then celebrated it. And then uh, Arena took matters into his own hands. This was last season at the request of other members of the Marlins team. These guys don't like each other. Going to be a very fun DS. We're going to have to get your predictions. Starting off, Rays, Yankees against Rays, live from San Diego. Who do you got? I've already, I've already said Yankees are my pennant winner. Um, I think that you know Rays are probably going to take a game, maybe even two, but you can't argue with this Yankees lineup, I don't think. Maybe I'm a homer, but give me the Yankees in five. The Rays are a very good team. The Rays looked completely dominant against New York this year. I don't think it matters. Live from Dodger Stadium, the Astros and the A's. I would like to see the Astros move on. I don't think they do. I think the A's win this also in five. I agree with you 100%. The Astros aren't going to make it easy, but I think that just in terms of consistency throughout the season, I think I think, I think Oakland has it. Um, Bob Melvin's been with this core group of guys for a while. Um, he knows what buttons to push. He knows how to you know optimize that lineup. I, th- I think this is Oakland's first uh, CS berth in 14 years. I think this is going to be it for them. The Rangers aren't able to host some playoff games this year, but... There will be a game in Gold Life Field, the Padres and the Dodgers. I have Los Angeles moving on. I think San Diego, it's a gentleman's sweep. So in four, the Dodgers take this. That, sound, that sounds about right, too. And lastly, live from Minute Maid Park, Marlins, Braves. Mm, I can't go against them. It's got to be the Miami Marlins. They're going to win in four. How about that? We're, we're, we're scarily on the same page with this. You know, I think this is, this is my upset pick, and it's like weird that I'm not considering Yankees over Rays an upset, but... I think that this this Marlins team's got some magic with them. Unfortunately, I don't think it can get past the uh, uh, big blue wall of the Dodgers, but I, I don't think you can count them out. And obviously, Don Mattingly against his uh, the team he used to manage would be an absolutely great storyline, and I, I, I hope to see that. I can't wait until next week when all of these are the reverse outcome, and we have to talk about that and just pretend. Fantastic. And, and just pretend that uh, – actually, no, we said everything correct. We can pull a, uh, a, a Skip Bayless and just – or and <laughs> said that. No, it's fine. As we finish up the show, Sam, is there anything else you want to get to today? Before we, before we end that, Alex Kirilloff and Chaz McCormick on Minnesota and Houston, on two other guys along with Shane McClanahan who uh, had no MLB experience prior to their inclusion on the playoff roster. It's very interesting, even though they didn't get in. But, Sam, anything else? Uh, no, I think we, 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 we covered most things. Uh, obviously a lot to talk about, uh, on the, on the, on the postseason results front, but, um, especially given the uncertainty with whether we'd have a season, whether or not it'd make it till the end, I feel really lucky to have been able to do that. I truly do. On a scale of one to 10, how excited are you for these upcoming series? I'm going to go with a uh, hard eight. Hard I'm going to go with final tap 11 as, oh boy, as we finish off. This was On The Farm. Thank you so much for listening to us. We will see you soon.